Uh, Kiwi Innovators podcast number three, uh, an interview with Kevin Johnson. Okay, so uh, welcome back. I'd like to introduce Kevin Johnson. Um, Kevin and I have known each other for, oh God, I think it's, I think it's almost 15 years, 20 years. I think the, I think the phrase you're looking for is too damn long. Yeah, too damn long. Um, Kevin Johnson, in my mind, is, is one of the leaders in security thinking um, in the industry. He's shaking his head at me, but I really do feel that way. Um, ever since I've known Kevin, his expertise uh, and his ability to see the direction that things are going and to see the right way to do them has been uh, astounding. So um, that being that being said, I, I'm going to go ahead and kick off into the podcast now. Um, Kevin, thank you for doing this podcast with me. Thank you for inviting me. I don't know if I can live up to what you just said, but okay. <laughs> So, um, uh, I, I listen to quite a few podcasts. Uh, uh, I listen to them at double speed so I can manage to get through them, but I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I, it, you know, you and I could just sit here and chat for hours, but I don't know that we would cover the material that we, <laughs> we want to cover. So I, I do have a, a couple of leading questions to at least drive us in a direction. Does that sound good? Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So um, I know that a lot of podcasters like to do origin stories. I don't want to do an origin story. You and I have a lot of, of back history, but um, I would I would like to I, I'd like to hear because I've heard you tell it before and it's good. I'd like to hear your story of how you got into technology. Oh, I'm a nerd. I, uh, <laughs> I I've been a nerd my whole life. Uh, I, I like to joke around and say that I'm so nerdy as the guy that. Stole my lunch money in school, still does. But he makes a damn good Subway sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I grew up in South Florida um, uh, from a, a poor family. I, I like to joke and say I know what government cheese tastes like. Um, but um, I, I happen to grow up right next to where the IBM XT was. Yeah. Right. Um, and so there was a lot of people involved in technology. Uh, my, I have an identical twin brother. Uh, the two of us loved computers. Uh, by the time we were 14, we had a bulletin board system. Yeah. And uh, nobody uh, listening, got, nobody listening to this podcast knows what a bulletin board system is. Yeah, no, okay. uh, not, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, it was on a 2400 baud modem oh. on my home life, and we had call waiting. <laughs> So, and, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, and then I graduated high school. I started to go to college um, and made it two weeks. Uh, right before I went to college, a uh, guy that knew the family had left IBM and started a company with another guy. And they hired me to be a developer. And I ran a bulletin board system for them and wrote code and built their network. And they hired me part-time, and then I started college, and two weeks into college, they said to me, hey, we need you full-time. Could you quit college? <laughs> and in six months, we'll have made it big, and we will pay for your college. Uh, that was in 1991. I am 46 years old now and have never gone back to college. <laughs> I tried. Uh, there was some issues with... Uh, the fact that I didn't drop out, I just stopped going. Yeah. So uh, it got all messed up. It was weird. And, and I, I kind of have done a little bit of everything. 
So I did development for them. Like I said, I ran their network. I built, you want to feel glantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, ran their network, uh, IPX, SPX. No, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, yes, so, Nove- Novell, yes. <laughs> uh, oh, it was awful, it was awful. And, um, and, and then I just went job to job, right? So some jobs I'd be a developer, some jobs I'd be an admin. And then I met you at uh, Blue Cross of Florida. And um, I was the Webster administrator. You were the, the network guy that insisted it wasn't the network. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I literally, I tell the story of you telling that story at least once a year. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear it. <laughs> and, and here's the funny thing. I don't think you were actually in the room. I think I think there were other people that were in the room that told you the story of I don't I don't remember who all was in the room that day, but no, I, no, I was in the room. Okay, okay. And, and the people I know that is because you were so adamant that it was not the network. And the reason that is important to me <laughs> is because you, one of the things that always impressed me when I worked with you was you were never adamant. That it wasn't your stuff. Like you always looked at your stuff first. You always went, okay, I'm gonna check because and I know you and I've talked about this, right? It was I can control my stuff. If my stuff is broken, I can fix it. That's right. Good. That's right. So I'm gonna check them all first and then I'll go help other people figure out where their stuff is broken. So the fact that you were so adamant, like everybody in the room was like, Well, Sean's never adamant, it's not his stuff. It must not be his stuff. And we went down lots of other paths. Yes, yes. To this, I have to say, to this day, I still yes. <laughs> so I, you know, what, I, I, I've done that, and then 2007, however you do the math, right? So 12 years ago, I left Blue Cross and became a consultant, um, and I've not looked back. Well, I have looked back. Um, so I started in Guardians, and then I started my own company, Secure Ideas. Yep. Uh, in that time, I've taught for Sam's, I've taught at Black Hat, uh, at Princeton, uh, that was fun, because um, I don't have a degree, <laughs> so going to teach a class at Princeton, it was a, uh, like, it wasn't a Princeton course, I don't want anybody to walk away and go, well, Kevin's at Princeton, no, 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 they just brought me in to do a class, and uh, I've done a lot of stuff, I do a lot of open source stuff, Yep. Yeah. you know, uh, base, was the first open source project back in 2002. Yep, and it's um, still running. Well, you're running base now. No, I'm not. You should not be. <laughs> I've not supported the base project in a decade. No, no. It's <laughs> it's still there. <laughs> I know. Because the guy I turned it over to disappeared. Yeah. Because I don't have access to the project. I can't shut it down. Yeah, yeah. And I get emails constantly. Hey, I'm running base and I have this problem. Oh, uh, stop. That's the problem. You're running base. <laughs> It was atrocious code when I built it. <laughs> so, and that's that's me. Well, I um, I I want to tease a little bit out of that because y- your transition into security, you and I, I, re- I remember us sitting around the lunchroom talking, and and it was really interesting because a lot of developers don't think about security. And and I think uh, early on, you and I and James Fields would sit there and talk about the fact that. Um, security should be built into how people develop things. It should be the way that they think about things. I mean, let's not even talk about comments and good quality coding. <laughs> <laughs> let's just let's just concentrate on security. 
and <laughs> and the transition that because I could see the transition happening. I believe uh, at the time, just before you left, it, it was kind of back and forth with whether or not you would move into the security team. And I think you actually did for a sh- very short period of time moving. No, I wanted to. Yeah. Um, and I will admit now, uh, as an adult who has to be mature, uh, <laughs> that it was completely my fault. I did not. I was not the best corporate citizen. No. <laughs> No, no. I mean, I said to that one developer, hey, can I have your parents' phone numbers? I can call them and apologize if you have their name. Yes. <laughs> um, so I wanted to move into security, and I felt that the right way was to join the corporate security team. And um, I, I think Alex and AJ and all of them, I think they realized that I would have been more of a hindrance than a, a benefit because... I didn't really know how to communicate well with people. I, you know, like talking to you in games, uh, that was easy. I liked you guys. Um, yeah. But but being that, I don't know the right term, but polite <laughs> might be it. Uh, I'm a little blunt. Ta- uh, I've gotten tactful. Better. Tactful talking tactful. to. <laughs> Good word. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I I, I I I think, and so I I wanted to move into career that way. And I was teaching for Sans. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I remember that. And uh, that's how I got into the consulting team. Yeah, I met Mike Moore, um, and she hired me. Yeah. But yeah, I, I um I was dotted. I probably what you were thinking is you were dotted line. Yeah, I was dotted lined in. <laughs> but it was totally for you know expertise. Yeah. So I mean, so for the last twelve years, in in various. Uh, uh, iterations as you moved into your creating secure ideas and in, in the, the company that you now run. Um, you've had a lot of experience working in a lot of enterprises. And um, so, I, so so do I from the yeah. consumer side more than on the security side. I've done a little bit of security consulting, but not, not as anywhere near what you have. I have an opinion about where security fits in the enterprise. I, I don't believe it's currently being done right in most enterprises. But I really wanted. I mean, your your knowledge and and experience. I, so I really wanted to get your take on where you think security needs to sit in the enterprise. I think uh, I think security has failed the enterprise, and the reason I think security has failed the enterprise is because security is separate. Yeah. I I am very bothered by it. I know that this is not a popular opinion, uh, but and again, I've never been a popular person, and uh, I feel that that we failed years ago by creating the security teams yeah. and keeping them as this like white power, right? I- ivory power, right? yeah. whatever that phrase is. Like, yeah. um, you know, they're up there and they're awesome and they know everything and uh, they're not really part of the business. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that it's very obvious um, that that has happened for a number of reasons. One, right off the bat, the fact that even though you said earlier, developers don't really think about security, that's a valid statement. But I want to be clear that it's not because they don't want to. Right. It, it's they're just not given the responsibility or the resources and time yeah. to think about it in most cases, right? Um, that's security's issue. Um, a perfect example of how security has failed by being separate. How many people do you know go through an annual? security awareness class 
right? And, and they go to the class and it's online and it tells them they shouldn't click on stuff, right? Don't click stuff. Yet, they were sent an email with a link to attend the security training class that told them not to click stuff. And then you talk to the security people like, well, these stupid idiots, they click links. Like, you sent them the link. You told them they had to click it by the end of the year. Um, we, we do a lot of victim blaming yeah. in the industry. Yeah. Um, and when you look at most security people, let's say many security people, let's be they have no real experience building an app, running a network. I, I um, and I, this is not to, to pimp secure ideas, but but at secure ideas, uh, we only hire like our senior consultants, which is the vast majority of our, our technical staff. Our senior consultants are required have had a decade of experience as a network admin or as a developer or as a operating system admin, whatever, because I can teach anybody how to hack. You want to teach somebody how to pen test a web app, right? That's that's easy. But to teach them how to understand where that fit in the development process or CI C D pipeline or whatever, so that they can give recommendations that are actually actionable. Yeah. Requires that. And I think that the same thing has to happen with corporate teams. The corporate security team should all be disbanded. They should be moved into the various business units, be that the project management team, the IT team, the development team, whatever. Then <coughs> I'm okay with, hey, we have one or two or three, whatever, uh, security architects. They're a team that their job is to take in the feedback from all those other people, all the other business units, and then advise how they should do it right. But that to me is what they should do. They should embed, security should be a part of every process. Yeah. But but we say that all the time, but we say it and keep us a separate team. But, yeah, that, yeah. It can't be part of every process if you're not part of every team. Yeah, and, That's my and, and we resource it as, well, no, no, we'll just do security as a stage gate at the end of what we're doing yeah. to assure, yeah. assure, I'm air quoting. Assure that we've oh, yeah. we've but done we've, yeah we, we've done that we've done security for it, and oh. I I think that's where we fail. Yeah, it, the number of times that I get asked to do a pen test, a penetration test. Hey, Kevin, we need a pen test. We're going to go live a week after you do pen test. Yeah. Like, okay, so when are you going to fix the problem right now? Yeah, exactly. Well, we don't think you'll find one. Have you <laughs> tested it? No. Then I'll find stuff. <laughs> right? Like I. I, I we, we tested an app. Nine years they've been developing this app. Yeah. We registered an account. On the second page of registration, it displayed your information to you. Yep. And you said, yep, it's correct, or no, let me edit it again. If you said, yes, it's correct, you were registered. That page had a URL that said, member ID equals, and it had a number. <laughs> Guess what happened when you subtracted one from that number? You got somebody else's account. account. <laughs> we downloaded all nine million people's data from the application, <coughs> and we said to them, "Like this was unauthenticated." Like, I, I, just yeah. nine years. Yeah, they've been developing, and, and they were like, "Oh, we sure know about that." Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you you should have. <laughs> well, yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's you're absolutely right. We need to we need to make it part of every process. Um, yeah, we're actually um, I'm I'm in a I'm in one of the government ministries here in uh, in New Zealand, and we're we're actually we've been building an app. You'll not nine years. We've been building it since May. Oh, okay. Yeah, but May of what year? May of this year, of 2019. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. So, uh, in, the, in the second month, and and by the way, we containerized um, the entire application so that we could move it to different platforms. Um, but in the second month of development, as part of the CI/CD pipeline and the test harness, we also did um, automated quality assurance of the coding, security testing of the coding and security testing of the container before they could move into the development environment. So when they when they try and, you know, deploy the code, we spin up a container, test everything, and that literally in the second month of development, we didn't even have any functions in it yet, and we wouldn't allow it to go into development if it wasn't secure. And that's the way it should be. Yeah. Which, it, it, it sounds hard. Yeah, but right? it's not. It Yeah. It, if you build it that way, that's right. it's, it's cheaper. You, you'll, uh, yeah. you'll get a kick out of this. So we have 12 developers, software developers. So I, I'm not I'm not the architect. Uh, I'm an innovation consultant, so I'm coming in to tell them which technologies they should be looking at. But I'm de facto architect because I'm the only one that understands the business outcomes to the technology. Um, but I'm not a software guy. You, you Kevin, you know, I, I, I'm not my I, forte. So, um, yeah, smart. <laughs> but so... The second day of container scanning, the CI/CD engineer comes over to me and he goes, "Sean, every single container failed." And I went, "I went, well, that's bad. Why did they fail?" And, and he said, "Because all of them are using Python 2.6 libraries, and Python 2.7 is out, and they need to update all their libraries." And so I went, "Okay." So I started digging into it, and I find that Python 2.x goes into support on the 31st of December of this year. And so yeah. I, I send this nice little note out to every single developer. Hey, if you're not using Python 3.x libraries, <laughs> you're in a non-supported environment. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Well, so, yeah. and and one of uh, one of the major containers that came back was the um, <laughs> the management containers for the container environment was still using Python. Oh yeah, that'd be no so so yeah we 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 kicked off an entire process to go through and uh and it, by the way it wasn't that onerous to go to python 3 it, it you do it early enough in the process it's not that. If, if you have a lot of functionality because the, the because the core of python changed yeah yeah and, and so if you had built a ton of stuff it would have been awful yeah. i'm dealing with it right now with samurai um so not you know Samurai is an operating system. Yeah, yeah. But but it, uh, we were running Debian nine. Yeah. As the base. Yeah. And it's almost entirely two dot seven. Yeah. Um. And two weekends ago, I started working on the upgrade ten. Yeah. So I could finish. And by the way, it's done. Uh, the next release will be Debian ten running Python three. Yeah. Across the board. Um. But it broke a ton of the different apps that we've done. Yeah. Um, because they were built that way. Yeah. That's we, nice. <laughs> yeah, I will I will point out though, that to give the developers the benefit here, the announcement of the end of life of Python 2.x <laughs> did not give them as much warning as they probably should have. I, I, well, I, oh, what was that? Like 
two months ago. Yeah, yeah. Then it was a very, it was a very short. Well, and and here's the thing, and this goes back to you know when you and I, I mean back when I didn't even interact with developers before we came to before I went to Blue Cross. But um, to be honest with you, most of the developers didn't even know they were using Python two point six under the covers. It, it's very very typical that yeah. their their IDE their development platform whatever. Yeah chooses that stuff for them. That's right. Um, now, the, the, the core two or three, they may not think about it, but they had to make that choice at some point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the libraries and stuff like that, it, it, it's just become too easy for developers and admins. Let's be blunt. How many firewall admins do you know of? Oh, yeah. That if you took the interface away from them. They die. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I was just talking to a guy at a, at a customer of mine, and we were talking about he was the firewall admin. And I'm like, well, can you pull this config? And he was like, oh, no, the interface doesn't want to export that. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interface doesn't want to export that. Like, I, and I'm not going to talk specifics about I'm like, there is no way you're running a firewall, an enterprise firewall. I'm not talking like a Linux system. Like, I went to Walmart and bought the company firewall. <laughs> right? I'm like, just SSH into the box and dump it. Like, dump the config. He's like, SSH? <laughs> and like, in my head, I started thinking, did I say it wrong? <laughs> like, I, you know what I mean? Like, 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 like I start doubting myself. Like, yeah, SSH, just shh, into the box. I don't, really know, I, don't know how to, I don't know how else to explain that, right? And he's like, no, Kevin, I've got this. And, and he has an app that runs on his computer. Yeah. And it does magic. Yeah. And he can control a firewall. And I'm like, like, do you not know how that works? <laughs> right? Um, and let's be clear, we tested the system. Yeah. It had Telnet code and had the default credential on the um, Of course it did. Admin, admin, admin. <laughs> Why would you not have the default? And, and the guy was just like, but, I, but I'm the firewall admin. And I, and I wanted to say, but of course, I've learned that. So, <laughs> I didn't say, no, you're not a firewall admin, you're a firewall browser. <laughs> yes, yes. I, you have stumbled across right access. <laughs> so, I just, it's, and, and I think that, I think one of the problems we have is we don't do a real good job training people on this stuff. Like, no. we, like you and I can make fun. Like, you made the joke earlier that most of your listeners don't know what a bulletin board system is. I'd like to believe that's not true. <laughs> I'd like to not believe them all. And, um, you know there are but, still some running. I, I know, yeah, of course. They've been ported. And, um, They've been ported over to IP. Yeah, and they're awesome. Yeah. Uh, Trade Wars 2002. <laughs> uh, I, ran into, I ran into a Quark one the other day. <sighs> okay, let's stop nerding. But what we find is, like, let's try this sometime. Go talk to the new admin. Yeah. Or the new developers, and ask them what slash twenty four. Right. Yeah. yeah no. I, like, no concept. There's no concept. Um, yeah. I, I worked with a, a. We had an application we were testing, and we found that we could. They had a. They had an admin interface to the web app, but it was bound for for host. Yeah. Okay. So, but we found that we could inject. A request that would basically—I'm simplifying this greatly. 
but it would basically proxy our request through the app. And the app would make a request for us against local hosts. Yeah. Right? And pull up the admin interface so we could interface with the admin interface from the internet. And uh, so we reported it for them. And we tell them, like, hey, you know, da, 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 this is the problem. Da, da. So they filtered 127.0.0.1. <laughs> so we changed the request to 127.0.0.2. <laughs> and I, it, it worked. Yeah. And of course, right? So I, I'm talking to the developer and the network admin because the, you know, the system admin, I'm sorry. And the system admin was like, well, what is 127.0.0.2? Like, it's local host. And it's like, no, that's dot one. I'm like, no, no, no. Local host is the entire a network. Yeah. Right? Like, all of 127. And the guy's like, well, that doesn't make sense. It's only one machine. Like, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I, like, I don't know what else to say other than okay. <laughs> I, I sometimes I really I really believe that the <laughs> lack of understanding of the of of networking is actually why we haven't gone to IPv6 because can you only imagine if we were having that discussion around IPv6 addressing? But I think we mess with people because they want to know where IPv5 went. Y yes. Um, oh my God. <laughs> I really oh, I have had multiple conversations with people and I thought they were good. And they're not. That that they're going to wait for eight. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I don't know if this six thing's going to work. So I'm just going to wait until they go to seven or eight or whatever. Like, they'll be, like, um, I really don't think it works that way. Do yeah. You know? yeah. Like, yeah. But, but what we find is that people aren't, we're not training people well, to understand the basics. Well, what are, and, and there's, oh, I'm sorry. Well, so I, I think you're right. And I think what it is, is that I think there are two things driving it. One is, is that we're making, the interface is so easy that they don't need to un understand the underlying technologies. I mean, it's, you go. And easy Yeah. I'm glad we're making things easy. Yeah. I mean, if you go look at math classes, uh, you know, in algebra, they're now using calculators rather than making the kids work it out longhand. So they don't understand the mechanism behind the calculator before they hand them the calculator. And then the second thing is, in in the economy, we have this mindset that we should be in constant growth mode. And growth mode requires productivity. Only way you get productivity is by m going faster with the people you have. The only way to do that is to bring on people that you can give them an easier interface to do stuff. And I think that it does a disservice. It means that there are people out there that understand, but those people don't get... Um, you know, they're not doing, they rise to the level of architecture or running their own companies like you did. And the people that are left in the trenches, all they know how to do is work their interface. They don't know how to do anything. They don't even understand what their interface is doing under the covers. And if they want to learn how to do it. Yeah, who do they? Most of the colleges don't teach them anymore. No, they don't. And if they want a technical training, what's the average cost of a technical training class right now? Oh. Right? Not to pick on anybody by name, Sam's Institute, but um, <laughs> it's... Over seven thousand dollars U.S. Yeah, take a class, and that doesn't count the certification, which is almost two thousand dollars. The travel costs. I don't know about you. I own a company. Yeah, I don't think I can afford to send myself to a same. Well, no, no. So but, I I live in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Courses don't come to New Zealand. So my my training class it starts with a, an, an international trip to Australia is the closest I can go to. So yeah, I completely agree with you. It, it, it's it's messed up, and, and 
we're we need to fix that. And I think that there 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 are people making efforts. I, I'll be biased. I'm one of them. Mm. We're we're pushing a lot of stuff online. We're trying to release a lot of free training. Um, we have a a hashtag we've been playing around with affordable training. Um, you, you know, and 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 I want to say this. We're doing it at Secure Ideas, but I want to be very clear. We have a large number of other companies who are working with us yeah. to do the same thing. Right? This is not a Kevin has decided to cheap out on training. Um, and I, I think that the there's a there's a double edged sword here. We have access to information faster and easier than we've ever had access to it. Yeah. But it has become harder to weed out invalid or incorrect. Uh, you know, we, we laugh at, have you ever seen, please tell me, you have seen Next Gen Hacker 101, the guy who, there's a YouTube video, it's old, and it's, the guy says, I can tell you who's visiting an IP address, and he uses a tool that's built into Windows, according to him, not me, I want to be very clear, <laughs> people don't want to an idiot. Um, according to him, this is a built-in tool for Windows, called Tracer T. And he runs Tracer T against HTTP.com. <coughs> and then he lists the people who are visiting Google.com right at that moment. Now, the people who are listening, I'm sure you all recognize this trace route. <laughs> and the IP addresses he's listing are the IP address, the hops between him and Google. And he gets yes. to the point where, right, you get the asterisks, right? Yeah. You, yeah. you get a response. His answer is those people have a faster connection to the internet. Than the <laughs> and that's why he can't see them. And, and what's brilliant about this is this kid, because he's a kid, right? Like, guys, totally yeah. kid. He has come up with a reason for every single thing he sees on that screen. Of course. And I got to do a Star Wars reference, right? <laughs> Every single thing he says is wrong. <laughs> like every single thing he says is wrong, and it's awesome. But it, but it's such a sign of yeah. It's easy for jackhole to, and, and let's be clear, I may be the jackhole um, who I recorded a video, I shove it online. It sounds good. Yeah, yeah. It uses big words yeah. or a lot of acronyms, right? And people just accept it. And so it's it's easy to get access to information hard to validate that information. That's right. And, that, and I I think that that's the biggest thing we need to work out. And and I, I was talking about it earlier a little bit. I, I think that what we have to do is figure out a way to create public, free bodies of knowledge. Yeah. And then here's what I want to be a pen tester, a web app pen tester. Here are the 30 things, topics, that you need to know to be a web app pen tester. Yeah. And here's what they mean. Here's how they work. And then people can build training classes on it and charge where they want to do that. Um, but, but to do that, people have to be willing, and, and this is the other problem we see a lot of, there are a lot of people feel that sharing knowledge demeans themselves. Or... or... Oh, I'm, or they're losing out on something. They're, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it undercuts themselves. I'm a very firm believer, and I want to be very clear, I'm, I'm an idiot. Um, but I believe that 
if I help other people do better, learn more, get smarter, whatever, understand things better, in the long run, and honestly in the short run, I'm going to do better. Yeah. There be better educated people. It's, um, you know, I live in Florida, so we have to have a nautical reference. Uh, <laughs> you know, rising tides float all boats. That's right. Right? If, if everybody understands things better, we're all going to do better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, we're just going to improve. And, and that, to me, is, is the point. Well, it's, you know, you, you say that, and I actually, I just recently did a post on, uh, I posted something on LinkedIn, um, it was a link to another article, and I really think that, I think that the differentiation that we're going to see going forward is the ecosystem of providers are going to be able to outperform the monolithic providers. And so if, if you're willing to work cooperatively, even with your people who might be competitors of yours, you're going to be able to provide better services because the reality is is that there are no one-to-one competitors. It's, even, even if you have two companies working in the exact same industry, they do things slightly differently, they have different people working for them, and t- together, there are things together from an ecosystem perspective that, to, I mean, sometimes you compete on stuff and then sometimes you work together on stuff and you can move forward. I think that the I- days of one corporation being able to do everything are gone. Yeah, I, I think there's companies that are trying to do that still, and, and companies that think they can still do that. Yeah. But I, I know for a fact that for me, right, I'm a I'm a penetration tester. You you need somebody to hack your system with permission, call us, right? Yeah. Um but I'll tell you right now, John Strand, Dave Kennedy, you know, Dave Cronister, uh these are people that we compete on jobs. Yeah. Bid, right? We both bid on the same job. Sure, sure. Um but at the same time, uh, if I lose to John, I know they're getting a good tempo. Yeah. I also know that if I'm ever in a situation where I need expertise or understand, John's who I call. Yeah. Right? Like, hey, dude, what's up? I just talked to him two nights ago about something, right? Hey, I'm testing this, having this weird thing. It's not working the way I think it should be. What's going on? And I talked to him and he bounced some ideas on me. I'm like, oh, hey, what about me? You know, like we, we went back and forth on it. And then next thing you know, we got it working. Yeah. Right. That that's the kind of stuff that I I, I, I think you're absolutely right. People need to understand that we're uh, we're competitors, but we're we have to cooperate at the same time. Yeah. Well, and, as an industry, right? Words. It, at least as an industry, they. I mean, you know, yeah. it 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 can't be it can't be. This isn't the Middle Ages where I'm a blacksmith and I know this secret technique for doing this thing. And as long as I'm the only one that knows how to do this, everybody has to come to me and yeah. buy stuff. I mean, those yeah. those days are gone. Well, and what I found is uh, when you find those people, and I'll pick on Twitter, right? I love Twitter. Uh, it's lots of stupid stuff on Twitter. There's lots of people arguing and stuff on Twitter. Um, uh, there are certain people who should just have their access to Twitter removed. But um, the what I find is that when you meet that person who isn't willing to answer a question, yeah, because they're better than that, they know some secret. But an, finally, an X X level developer. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, what I find is that really they don't know. That's right. Topic. They're not an expert. And they know that if they try to explain stuff to you, they're going to be found out. Yeah. This is the people who aren't willing to answer questions, who aren't willing to describe what they're doing, who aren't willing to share their information. 
It's not because they're smart and know something's secret. It's that they're actually quite stupid. Well, we'll go with ignorant. No, we'll go with stupid. And they know that if they answer the question... They'll be found out. Yeah. They'll be found out. And, and I'm not talking imposter syndrome. That's that's a valid thing. That's a, But these people who are angry... No, I can't tell you that because I'm... Well, and, the, the expert. well and, the, and their jobs depend on it, right? So the, they have built yeah. a career out of convincing people that they know what they're doing. And if it became obvious that they didn't know what they were doing, they, they, and, and, and they've gotten themselves to a place where they don't have to work very hard, right? All they have yeah. to do is convince people. Um, and if they actually had to go back and learn all the material so that they could actually speak correctly, it would be a massive amount of work for them. So there's no way that, that we could do it. So I, I do want to actually, because this is an innovators podcast, I do actually want to look uh, to the future a little bit now and and ask you where you think security is going. Um, and in particular, with the, with, I, now, so I have a very, I have very strong opinions about what AI and ML really are and what they aren't. Um, and I think, I think. Have you heard that if it, if it uses Python, it's ML, that, it uses that's, PowerPoint, it's AI? That's right. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that there's a lot of hype there. But at the same time, we, we, we have technologies that now can algorithmically make a decision without us, without the technology being able to. So in the old days, we could always trace, even through a development code, you could trace why you got the answer you got. Now we have algorithms that can make a decision and we can't go back in the algorithm and figure out how we got to where we got. So where does that, I mean, I don't, I don't even want to get into quantum computing and the fact that we may have a computer that can actually be in two states at the same time, but from a, from the future of security and where you see it going, I mean, we have a long time of existing systems before everything is AI ML, but, but yeah, exactly. Um, I think that right off the bat, I want to be, be very clear. Today, in 2019, the vast majority of times that somebody says, I work in security, my product runs with AI or ML, they are full of it. Mm. Okay, I just want to put that out there as the first problem. I know there are companies that are doing it, there are companies that are doing it well. The vast majority of people, that's a marketing full. Yeah. And uh, what I do believe, and I, I believe strong enough that we actually are working on some stuff uh, in that field for discovery and asset protection and things like that. Um, I do believe that using machine learning uh, to recognize patterns, to recognize indicators of compromise, to be able to determine what a system is doing, how it's doing it, is the key to scale the efforts we have today. Yeah. Right? Um, I, I, I truly believe that's where it has to go. It's not just that it's going to go there. I don't see any way, when we have organizations that are deploying applications hundreds of times yeah. a month, yeah. we have organizations that, you know, cloud computing. I know that when I worked, when I worked at Bluebox, yeah. if we needed to server, there was like a three to six month process yeah. to get the server ordered and built and racked and, and finally turned over so you could build something. I built the server this morning. It took 15 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and it it came online patched, hardened, configured exactly how it like every bit of it. Boop, done. The only way to keep up with that level, that speed of deployment 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we can't we can't scale the number of workers. There's we we I mean we we even if we could train every single person that is in the industry up to the level that they need to be at, we still wouldn't have the number of people that yeah. we need to be able to, to handle it. No, exactly. Exactly. So I do, yeah. I do know that you have a, I do know that you have a time limit. Um, and I want, I, and, I, and I want to, I do, there are a couple fun questions that I want to just wrap with. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, so if, if there was any one pie in the sky technology that you would want to see be made into reality, what would that be? Holodecks. <laughs> I am fascinated by augmented reality. Yeah. I, I uh, to me, VR is neat. I say holodecks, right? VR is neat. Uh, it's clunky right now. It's difficult. I, I believe that, that the, the technology I'm passionate about is AR. Uh, the ability to augment the life interface. I don't know another way to put it, right? Uh, to, to, for AR, especially when you tie it back with machine learning and AI and stuff like that, where where it knows what you're doing, why you're doing it, and it helps augment what's going on. Uh, and, and as stupid as it is, you know, I'm always lost. <laughs> your your sense right? of direction is is not the strongest skill that you have. I would agree with that. I, I would argue I don't have a sense of direction. <laughs> I have a car in a parking lot that has 15 spots. I <laughs> so. And you can see the car. But um, the augmented reality in Google Maps, as an example, uh, taking that further is, is critical. I, I want the ability, I'm one of the, the original people to buy Google Glass. I'll admit that. I'm embarrassed by it, but I was. Uh, I want an interface here. Yeah. On my face. Yeah. That just affects the world around me. Yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, I'm. I I think I'm in agreement with you. I'm. I'm actually digging into a lot of the augmented reality as well because I really think, I think there is some value. So from a consumer perspective, I think there's some value to be able to walk into a store, and to have in your face all of the details of the products that you're looking at, um, yep. in a way that allows you to be a smarter consumer. I think from a yep. business from a business perspective, I think the value to anybody in business to be able to have access to information about the people and the things you're interacting with, you know, at the, literally at the tip of your eye where you can see it is, is game changing. And I think, uh, organizations that aren't looking at it or aren't even thinking about it are, are going to end up being disrupted. I think. So I, I, yeah, I have one last question and I'll, and I'll let you go. And I really do, again, I really do appreciate you doing this for me. So the previous president had a, uh, had a policy that if you signed on to a web interface, you could submit a petition. And if it got enough signatures on that petition, the government would seriously look into doing it. My question, that's right. They had to at least respond. Yes. So my, my question for you is, did you like me sign the death star petition? (laughs) Of course I did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> uh, now, have you looked at the fact that NASA has open sourced the Mars rover? Yes, I did. Yes, they opened the I'm entire code and, yeah, everything. I'm looking to start building it. <laughs> well, so 
Well, you know, everybody plays with those little the Lego versions of Mars rovers and the little models and stuff. What yeah. what most people don't realize is there's the the Mars rover was the size of a go kart. It's it's huge, yeah. and yeah. built building the huge one is the cool idea because the, the little ones this I don't. One is, this one's scale, <laughs> but it's still cool. So I, I apologize. I do need to. Yep. Yeah. No, absolutely, uh, Kevin. Brilliant. Yeah, as always. Um, uh, early days for my podcast. I may drag you back into a podcast again in the future. I, I really do appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Have fun. You too. Bye. Well, that was Kevin Johnson. Um, I, I, could, I could literally talk to Kevin Johnson for hours. Uh, his knowledge and expertise in technology, in development, in security is um, – you know, it's, it's astounding. Um, for anybody that's interested, I would suggest you go out and take a look at Secure Ideas. Uh, Kevin regularly speaks at conferences to do with security and technology. Um, and if you get the opportunity to hear him talk, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. So uh, with that, I'm going to end. This is my, this is Kiwi Innovators podcast number three. And thank you for listening.